hit record on this. And leave, it leave it there. So that'll record. Okay. Uh, you cannot like. Okay, I'll try not to pound on that. Okay. <laughs> Got a, it, it is Ooh, I can tell. testing one, two, can you, let's see, I, I, can't, I can hear it. Okay, maybe when it's completely quiet, uh, we'll, we'll see if that works better. Okay, sure. Right? Yeah. So, it certainly would work if you're right here, but you can't be there. Right. And it's, it's, I don't have a boom. My okay. phone's there. Oh, that's, that's fine. So, okay. I think it will help. I think so. It's not just me. A lot of half these people who don't hear well, and you're soft. <laughs> well, most of the time. Sometimes you're not. <laughs> Very true. Are you going to finish up uh, 18 today? I'll try. Uh, I'll try to see if I, I'm able to just to summarize that when we get to. It. I'm almost finished with 17, and I'm pressing if I can get get 18 done. Because I mean, not that it's saying it's just repetitive. It, it isn't, but. It's it's recounting the same thing again. Yeah, it is it is recounting, it, and it, it, it's a lengthy chapter. Uh, it so, is, but but I think it, it, we're number one. Do what you do whatever, however it yeah. leads you, the spirit leads you. If you happen to finish it, I'll just plan to take nineteen. Yeah, uh, we'll follow the other schedule, and then yeah. I'll, whatever I, I, I've forgotten now yeah. how it's we'll, divided. We'll just but go, I know, go from there. But I know I have nineteen somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
quieting down quite a bit. Brother Witt, are you teaching this morning? Are you teaching this morning? No, I'm just going to go over there. We're going to let everybody hear this morning a couple of quick announcements. Uh, this Wednesday night, we are doing refreshments again this Wednesday night. We had a bunch of refreshments left over last time with a bunch of money. So if I could get one or two people to make a pan of brownies, you know, if you volunteer, just stick your hand up and make a pan of brownies for Wednesday night. We've got desserts back there in the freezer. We've got ice cream. We've got bottled water. And we'll just do that Wednesday night. So I got it. Yes, ma'am? sent out an email, and I'm going to pass this around and just get an idea of what you might want to do. Uh, he is looking for maybe a class to go on one Thursday night to the branch and have dinner with some of the ESL students, just kind of get a connection between us and the students and maybe help bridge some gaps and get some more people involved. So read the email that's here. If you want me to, I'll forward it to class. Just give me an idea. If you want to do this as a class, you know, get 10 or 12 of us to go, and what date might work for you. And by the time we get back to them, Jose may have everything covered. I don't know. But just think about it. Let me know, please. If you want to read the email, I'll try to forward it to the class when I get home today. Uh, for prayer requests, if you have one, please send it to me. Uh, or get it to me like this. Uh, I know we need to remember uh, Tracy Austin and her sister Hannah and the loss of Baby Rhett. We prayed for him up at camp, had a big poster at camp. We prayed for Baby Rhett and he passed away last night or this morning one. So we need to remember that. Uh, a husband, a co-worker, Susan Haas, her husband found out he has a mass in his pancreas. We're going to keep that on our list. Teresa Mansfield's grandchildren's nanny is having seizures so Teresa is going to North Carolina to take care of their grandchildren because the father is deployed right now so they need help and Karen Allen who's in our class, y'all know Jim uh, and Karen, Karen is having she's had a lot of neck and back problems after a car wreck a few months ago she's having another steroid injection in her back or in her neck tomorrow morning so uh, Jimbo wants to put that on the prayer everything else please get it to me now, Cooper Kirkfield is going to lead our discussion, our class this morning. And just remember, uh, Wednesday night, August 2nd, that's this week, we're going to uh, be partying with a bunch of desserts. Any questions? Let's go, guys. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for our chance to be here this morning. Father, we're thankful for the love that you show us each and every day. Father, help us to never take our blessings for granted, help us to never take you for granted, Father. Thank you for us being here. Thank you for our family. We ask that you watch over uh, Tracy Austin's family, especially Hannah and her husband, Austin, and the, the loss of the baby. Father, just comfort them and bless them as 
as only you can. Help us to be a, a source of encouragement around them. Uh, we pray for Karen Allen and her, uh, her uh, injection tomorrow that it'll go well and her uh, pain will get better. Uh, please do Miss Sue Haas's co-worker. Uh, uh, her husband has a uh, pancreatic mass. Father, we know that you can heal all things. Father, you know the situation. We pray that you'll be with uh, Miss Teresa Mansfield. She's going to take care of her grandchildren and their nanny who's having some health issues. Father, just watch over and, and protect that situation. Father, thank you for Brother Whit and Brother Philip, Brother William, who teach their class so eloquently. Father, help Philip as he comes this morning to share your word as he prepared, as he put on his heart. In your son Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We go to the 20 after or Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Hopefully, this mic will help out some things. Uh, most of you would have already received. Uh, sort of a uh, a little sketch here. If you have not, if someone could hand out those, uh, one per family preferred, if possible. There's probably only about 15 of those left. Um, if you'll please turn your Bibles over to Revelation 17. Revelation 17. Let me get my eyes on here so I can see. There we are. Much, much better. All right, last uh, two weeks ago, um, we began a little more detailed study of the of chapter 17 of Revelation. And I really do believe that it's a very important chapter. It's somewhat pivotal, I believe, in the book because it, it helps us, I believe, have a, um, a more graphic understanding as far as um, who the enemy was that the first century Christians were, were facing and dealing with. And I hope to be done with chapter 17 and the next. I'm going to try to put a timer on here and uh, hopefully it'll do me some good. Because I would I also. Two Nobody wants these? <laughs> because I would like to be able to. I'm going to give myself 16 minutes to finish this chapter. So, uh, which sort of is a nice segue to just bring up this point. If all the study that you get from Scripture is, is at the church building, you're going to starve to death. I'll let you know that right off the bat. It is imperative that each of us as God's followers spend time studying His Word. Because if we limit ourselves to two or three meals a week, I'm sorry, you're going to starve to death. You won't make it. You'll die. It's imperative that you spend time on your own in prayer, in study and reflection of God's Word. So let me just say that. Because... Michael, nor I or William have the time, nor the ability to go into great detail about every single verse in Scripture. There isn't time. This book, to do a thorough study of about 40 minutes a week, would take two years to do it. Fairly well. Probably not adequately, but fairly well. So I'm just letting you know, it's imperative we spend personal time with God as we study 
And so uh, I'm only going to give you some highlights. And so that's sort of the point of what I'm going to try to get to in about 13 minutes from now to finish with chapter 18, which is a very long chapter. But also, John is very good at saying things over and over again that he's already said, but using a little bit different words. And so that's what I hope to be able to accomplish to get through chapter 18 as well today. But I want to finish up a few comments with regard to chapter 17. I mentioned in uh, chapter 17, the first six verses, uh, John goes out of his way here once again to use vision. Uh, He's talking about a vision, what, what he saw. And he saw this woman uh, all glamoured up, um, and she's sitting on this horrible beast, vicious-looking beast, but she's so beautiful. But on her forehead tells the story, because on her forehead it says, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. That's who that, that beautiful woman was. She wasn't. She was horrible. In the nation, the empire of Rome was not a good empire. Could there have been some good traits with Rome? Of course. But there, were, there was a lot of evil on um, what was going on. They had just finished with uh, having an onslaught in Rome against persecuting Christians by Nero, who I believe would be figuratized, especially in chapter 13, as the beast in that, in that regard because of the punishment and the onslaught he had against Christians. He despised them. Some of them he burned alive and used them as torches at nighttime. He despised people like us. He hated us. But he died. And it was a little bit of a reprieve. But it wasn't going to be long before there was going to be another. Even worse than Nero. That was on the front. And this is what John is letting people know. But at the same time, we need to remember, things are not always as they seem, as they look. Things are not always that way. We can look at our situations and we can look at things and we can see that where is God in all of this? And we can wonder. But what we have to never question is that God is in control He always has been and always will be. Let us never give up hope in what our God says. Let us believe and trust in his words, regardless of what it might look like around us. Because things are not as they seem. The widow in Mark chapter 12, when she gave money and Jesus was standing and watching the the rich people pour money into the coffers. And Jesus said, She gave more than all of them. He wasn't kidding. He wasn't lying. He wasn't trying to trick us. Things are not always as they seem. And we need to to remember that as well on a daily basis. So in chapter 17, the first six verses, he gives us a vision of this beautiful woman sitting on this beast. But then John is astonished Because she's drinking the blood of martyrs. She loves, she's getting drunk on the blood of the people that she slaughtered. She loves it. And John's astonished at this sight. And when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. 
Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I'll explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast. She rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. And then she, he go, uh, the angel goes to explain to John, and John's recording what the angel said. He says in verse 9, This calls for a mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. Key point. Rome was built on seven hills. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he comes, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to destruction. So this mind of wisdom... John is reminding us here what it actually is. And now we can very easily, in my estimation, put names and dates on exactly what John is talking about. So in here he says there are these seven heads are seven kings. He says five have fallen. The first five kings, according to historians, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius and Nero. Those five have fallen. They're dead. Then he says one is. And again, a very important thing that we need to remember in Daniel chapter 7, which John reflects on in Revelation 13. I believe it's referring to the very same vision that Daniel had 50 years after he had that, um, that, that Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. Daniel had a vision given to him by God about the Four kings that were going to kingdoms that were going to come about, and then even in that case in Daniel chapter seven, Daniel wondered about the fourth one, the horrible one that wasn't even given a an, an animal name like the other ones were. He wanted to know more about that one, and he realized it was not just the ten because there are ten. I, there's ten kings mentioned there too, but he says there's another little horn that comes up. And he's really going to be something. So the key in, Revelation, in Daniel 7 was the 11th king was the horrible one of the fourth kingdom. But in Revelation 17, it's not the 11th. It is the 8th. And there was a reason. Because in Daniel chapter 7, it clearly says that the 11th king will root out three of them and get rid of them. Well, there were three usurpers in the Roman Empire at the in the first century, Galba, Alta, Atilius. Those three emperors reigned for about two years. It was civic chaos in Rome. Persecution against Christians stopped after Nero was was done uh, with his great per- persecution. Uh, then there was basically a civil war in the Roman Empire, especially in Rome, fighting for power and all of this. And then there were three usurpers that came up. Those three men that I just mentioned, they did become emperors, but they were just running for their lives, basically, until uh, the last one was, was, was uh, removed. Then Vespasian came on. So I believe he is now the sixth king because John ignores the three that were rooted out, and he just mentions these. He says, um, five have fallen, but one is, meaning one is going on right now, who would be Vespasian, removing the three usurpers. Then he says, the other one 
has not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The one after Vespasian was his son, Titus. Titus ruled for two years, only two years. Then it says, and now uh, the beast who once was, what we would think, Nero, the beast who once was, and now is not, meaning he's no longer around, is an eighth king. He isn't here yet. He belongs to the seven, and he's going to destruction. The eighth that John, that the angels tell him John is Domitian. The problems weren't over yet. They were going to be really bad because he issued a much larger persecution against Christians. So Christians needed to buckle up. They weren't through the battle yet. They went through a real bad one. But it was going to get worse before it got better. And that eighth king is the same as the 11th king that Daniel mentioned 600 years or 550 years before this time or 600 years. And it's the same one, Domitian, who reigned from 81 to 96. And he commanded the people call him Lord God. That's who he was. The one who boasts so much. But let's not forget our God, our Father, is the one who's in control. Sin may rule for a little while as it thinks it is. But don't think for a moment our Father is not in control. He is. And John's reminding his people, don't give up. Remain faithful. Because Babylon has fallen. And there's a good reason why I believe that John is using the image of Babylon in all of this. Because Babylon, of course, of old, in the days of Jeremiah, in the days of Daniel, was a ruthless empire, that one that God was still in charge of. He used Babylon to punish his people because of sin, and they were in captivity for 70 years. But as we're going to find out later in chapter 18, which I believe why, it, why the, the, the image of Babylon is so important is because in chapter 18, he's going to call his people, come out from them. And of all things, Jeremiah, at the end of his book, called God's people to come out of Babylon too. The sad thing is, most of them didn't. They stayed there. They stayed with the nation that overtook them. So that is a warning to all Christians everywhere. Don't get sucked up into the world. As the author of this book also said in another book, friendship with the world is enmity with God. We've got to be very careful who we are friends with. That doesn't mean we don't want to try to influence them for good. We most certainly do. But let's be careful. The enemy is sly and slick and will do everything possible to draw you away from the one who died for you. So we got to be careful. These are why, these are just not, that's, this book is a warning book for Christians. The importance of remaining faithful to the very end. And as you said in the very first part of the book, even unto death, meaning being put to death. 
not just dying, because that's what they faced, life and death. And so it's really serious business. But John is saying that it's, it's this um, eighth king is the big problem. In verse 12, and I'll try to finish this up in the next five minutes. He says, the ten horns you saw on our uh, ten kings who have not received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority. Basically, all we're dealing with is these would have been vassal kings or client kings that the Roman Empire had all over the Roman Empire. Rome was massive. Actually didn't reach its highest power until the second century A.D. It got bigger and bigger. But the point is, though, uh, there were going to be other kings that were going to be in charge of Rome. But the thing is, though, those very same kings that expanded the power of Rome would in the end be the ones that would destroy her. Our Father knows best. Nothing gets by our Father. He has always been King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He knows what's going on. He will always know that. But that doesn't mean He will not allow His children at times to suffer. He will. And there are times when we will not understand why. I totally agree. Sometimes there are no answers to why certain things are going on. Sometimes there's not an adequate answer in that sense. But there is a bigger picture. God rules. He reigns. He's sovereign. And he loves. And one thing that God is certain about also, don't mess with his family. You will suffer the consequences if you hurt his family. And that doesn't just go for outsiders hurting his family. That goes for family members hurting each other. Our father doesn't appreciate. We need to be very cautious the way we treat other people, especially our brothers and sisters as well. But he said, um, they have uh, one purpose. They will give their power and authority over to the beast. They will wage war with the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because the Lord, because he's the Lord of lords and king of kings. The angel said to me, the waters you saw, that would be uh, chapter 17. Isn't that irritating? Uh, The waters you saw, that was in verse 1, the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitude, nations, and language. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin. That shows you right there that God will use even those within that kingdom to destroy her, which he did. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked and they will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put into their hearts to accomplish whose purpose? Oh, His purpose, God's purpose, by agreeing to hand over the beast, her royal authority, until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So, I believe the best explanation, that doesn't mean I can't be wrong. Of course I can But the best explanation I have for who this is, is Rome. Because 
well, of what I've laid out over a little bit of today and what I did a couple of weeks. Now, before we get into 18, and I do want to get into that, any observations or thoughts, comments, criticisms, rocks, or boulders? Bring them, please. Because I, I don't have all the answers. Friends, I don't even have all the questions. But that's why I said it's so important for us to spend time on our own also about Scripture and spend time in prayer. I believe what I've outlined makes sense and it causes the least difficulty in other areas. I'm not saying it's trouble-free, but that's what it comes across to me. In chapter 18, um, John is going to again say Babylon has fallen. You know, you know in, in one way you think that it's almost like the person who, who cried wolf again and again and again. Well, it hasn't fallen yet. Well, sometimes things take time. Just like when God would chastise his people, he let that go by hundreds of years. And God does that, I believe, for a reason that Peter gave us in his book. God is patient. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. God is patient. So sometimes we may wonder, why doesn't God act sooner? One thing I would chalk that up to is God's patience. And sometimes I know we can get upset with things don't happen as quickly as what we would like. But let's also realize and put our trust in him because he has a track record of always being right. Our God is. So in chapter 18, he says, After this, I saw another angel coming down out of heaven. He had great authority with... um, And the earth was illuminated by his splendor with a mighty voice. He shouted, fallen, fallen, Babylon has fallen. So that is word from heaven again. God is assuring his people, don't worry, it is going to happen. And in God's mind, it already has happened. She's become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt for an impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable animal. And once again, as I kind of began this class Sometimes we may think that, you know, well, you know, did this happen right away uh, after Nero was, was uh, killed and, and, and out of the picture? No. It was on the down, downward slide. But sometimes how we interpret um, uh, um, a fact like Babylon has fallen, uh, it may be different than the way that God does. Remember the vision in, in, in Daniel chapter 2 of that great statue. And it was made of these, all these different metals and then later of clay and rock. But then it said there was this rock that was came that was hand carved out of this mountain without hands, meaning God's this. And it was God's kingdom. And Daniel interpreted it, it was God's kingdom. It was going to smash that statue and everything was going to be destroyed. Well, we can look around, well, does it look destroyed? We have to realize it was. But it may not be the way that we think it should be done. That's our problem. When God says, your sins are forgiven, you look exactly the same as you did before that, that ever happened. But that doesn't change the fact that you are a new creation. We either believe it or we don't. When God says it, friends, we need to start believing it. Even if it doesn't look like it, we need to start believing it. Because God has taken care of all things. And there's, there's a lot more than what is visibly going on. A lot more. 
as we know from the great prophet who was surrounded by an enemy. And when his servant said, oh, we're surrounded by the enemy. And what did he pray and say? Open his eyes so he can see that there's more with us than with them. Things are never as they seem. God will always be in control. So here in chapter 18, he's letting them, his people know that there is, um, that Babylon the Great is fallen. I believe Babylon referring to Rome. Some say some. Okay. Just hearing things. Nothing new, I guess, right? Okay. Um, then I heard another voice say, a uh, voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her um, as she has given. Pay her double back for what she has done. And that very thing, like I said, is mentioned also in the book of Jeremiah. Let's see if I can get over just to a couple of passages, and I'll just read those just real quick to you here. Let's see if I can get over to that right here. There we are. Because this entire chapter is really rooted very heavily in the Old Testament again. A few of the passages, I'll just read a couple of them here. One is in Jeremiah. Again, Jeremiah was a man who lived during the time of the Babylonian captivity. He lived during during that time. And at the end of his book, this is one of the things that God spoke through him. In chapter 50, verse 8, he said, Flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians, and be like the goats that lead the flock. In 51, verse 6, he says there, He says, flee from Babylon, run for your lives. Do not be destroyed because of their sins. It is time for the Lord's vengeance. He will repay her um, what she deserves. In verse 9, we would have healed Babylon, but she cannot be healed. Let us leave her and go each to her own land. For her judgment reaches to the skies. It rises as high as the heavens. And then in verse 45, It says, come out of her, my people, run for your lives, run for the fierce anger of the Lord. Most of them didn't. They didn't heed the warning. It's very easy to get comfortable with the world far too often. We may think that there are friends and there are buddies. They're not. In the days of Jeremiah... Or in the days of John, he says here, come out. That doesn't necessarily mean, okay, I want you to live in a rural area where there's no big cities around. But we need to be aware of what we are doing at all times. Who our friends are and who our friends are not. That just That's just the warning. Then it says there's um, other comments made in verse 9 the following. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and share in their luxury and the smoke of her burning, they'll weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. There were kings and there were merchants who had alliances, relationships with Rome, things that made them rich. Physically rich because Rome had so much power, so much influence. Matter of fact, you can read that some of the things that they had in uh, verse 11 and following. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, 
pearls, linen, purple, silk, scarlet, and the list goes on and on and on. And that actually comes from Ezekiel chapter 27 and 28 as well. Half of these things are mentioned in that chapter regarding Tyre. The same thing. This is just repeating some of the same stuff that's going on. We need to be careful. They weren't weeping because Rome was just fallen. It's because their meal ticket was gone. They were using Rome just like Rome was using them. They don't, they don't care. In the end, of course, Rome was destroyed basically by, by her own. But anyway, they will say the fruit you long for is gone from you. All the luxury and splendor has vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They'll weep and mourn and cry out, Woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet. Ooh, kind of reminds me of the beast in 17, doesn't it? Because it is. That's what we're talking about. And glittering with gold and precious stones and pearls, in one hour such wealth has brought to a ruin. Every sea captain, all who travel by ship, the sailors, all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads with weeping and mourning and cry out, woe to this great city where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she had been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets. For God has judged her with the judgment she imposed on you. And so, then the last part of the chapter is basically a recounting as far as the destruction of Rome that the amusement or the entertainment that she enjoyed is going to be no more. The business interactions will be no more. And the home life will be no more. And that's what this last part is. It says, Then the mighty angel picked up a, a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of the harpist and the musicians and pipers and trumpets will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of the millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of the lamp will never shine on you again. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's important people. That means the wealthy, powerful people. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the earth. So all the good that, that she had done, she was evil. She was bad news. And so, yeah, some people would weep, weep over her because they were using her, just like I said, that she was u- using them. But God is letting them know, I judge Rome for what she has done. Her sins have come up to me as high as heaven, and I will judge Rome. I have not forgotten, and God doesn't forget. He will judge those who harm his people. He always has. Our Father will deal with the problem in his time. Let's just be patient for him. Yes, Michael. I've got a question. 
Yes. Where the angel says, come out of her, walk into the Christian church. There, there were about, oh, I don't know, they say about a thousand Christians, um, roughly speaking, in Rome in the mid-90s. Um, maybe one-tenth of one percent of the population. It quickly grew by the second first century. Do you think, um, I'm asking not rhetorically, but for information, do you think that, uh, that God wanted the church to physically leave the city, or is it more of a come out of her, spiritually speaking? Realistically, right. Realistically, I believe the latter. Um, And the reason why I, I believe that is for the same reason why God sent Paul and others to Corinth, which was an extremely highly immoral city. And the comment that God says, I have many peoples in that city. God doesn't want us to be monks. He's never called us to do that. He calls us to love not the world nor the things in the world. We will have to be a part of society. But we don't have to be like them. We don't. And I'm not saying it's easy, but again, there are reasons why God established the church. We are here together corporately to be together to strengthen one another in our own city of wickedness. He's not called us out. Now, could there be a time when he did? Well, yeah, I'm not, I remember one time when, when he did. That, yes, because that is when he annihilated it. And you know, to this very day, they don't know where those cities exist. For sure. Archaeologists still can't find Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Can you believe that? There's been people who've looked. God destroyed us so bad it can't even be found by archaeologists three or four thousand years later. So yes, I, I do believe the latter. And perhaps that's the real uh, at least one of the takeaways from Revelation 18. Yes. Is that you know, we're called to be in but not part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Michael. Any other uh, observation or thought? Please. Oh, say something. Lee, I know you want to say something back there. You didn't know which one I was talking to, did you? The big hairy fellow with a big smile on his face right there. But uh, yeah, I do believe the, the takeaway is be faithful where you are. Don't forget your father. Be always faithful to him. And again, remember, things are not always as they seem. Our Father has always been and always will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And he knows what's going on, just like he's told John and the churches in the first few chapters of Revelation. He walks among you. He says, I know what you're going through. He knows. He knows. So let's be faithful to him and trust him. And let this book be a reminder to us in the 21st century, things haven't changed in that regard at all. There's a lot of things we don't need to to worry about, but the main thing we need to be 
is faithful to him always. And like I said, the same author in his little epistles of first, second, and third John, especially in first John, you know, don't love the world nor the things of the world. So that's all this book is really trying to remind us of and that God will deal with, with, with everything else that's going on. So that's just a very quick summary, but I believe uh, appropriate one for what Michael said back there. Uh, God puts us places, so let's be there and be the example and the shining light where God has called us. Let's have a, a brief prayer that we'll go on our way. Father, as your body of believers, we thank you so much for your word. And Father, we're reminded by John how important it is, Father, to put our trust in you. And Father, when things don't seem as they are, remind us, Father, that you always have been in control and that you always want what is best for your children. But you have called us, Father, to be your people wherever we might live. Help us to be the light that, that shines before the world so that you might be glorified and not us. May you be praised in all circumstances, in every situation. We thank you, Father, for what you do. And I thank you, Father, for every believer in this room. And may we truly be the examples of Jesus wherever we walk, wherever we talk, whoever we help. May you be the one who gets all the praise and the glory. Through our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Amen.